0: Just want to read a couple of verses from Romans chapter 12. A familiar text. Uh, Romans 12:1 and 2. Therefore I urge you brethren by the mercies of God to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Okay, let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank You for the day that You've been pleased to give us. We're Uh, Grateful for that, we pray that uh, as we uh, begin uh, this series of classes on uh, the subject of worship and more particularly on uh, the subject of public worship, we pray that you'd be pleased to uh, bless and uh, grace us uh, with understanding and we pray that you'd be pleased to uh, be with us as we uh, consider Uh, this matter of worship. Uh, Worship together corporately uh, as a body and uh, entering into your presence uh, with thanksgiving and into your courts with praise. We uh, pray that uh, you'll give us uh, fresh perspective on uh, that which we do week by week, uh, that we might uh, be uh, uh, not only better prepared for worship, but Uh, refreshed uh, in the things of worship. So uh, be pleased to bless us and strengthen us, we ask, uh, in the good name of Jesus Christ, who is the Lord. Amen. So I'm going to absent myself from class for a moment. I promise I'll come back. (laughs) Uh, A lot of what I'm going to... uh, Talk to you about in class is uh, in my uh, uh, little book, Public Worship 101, uh, which I put together a few years ago for the uh, seminary class in worship uh, as a textbook. So I'm not going to go through through the textbook, but uh, as I say, a lot of what I'm going to talk about uh, is in this book and explored. Uh, more deeply and uh, a, a little more thoroughly. So, uh, if, if you're interested in a copy of it, you can uh, talk to me. I'd be glad to uh, help you out with that. So, you can't. Uh, you, you you have to sell books, don't you? But not on the Sabbath. <laughs> okay. The Sabbath. What's that? You can advertise on the Sabbath. You can advertise on the Sabbath. Yeah i'm a little amused at uh, sermon audio because they uh they send out uh, uh, they uh, on their website uh you can turn off uh, the store that you have on sermon audio on on the sabbath and they turn off their store on the sabbath but then they advertise a lot of stuff they send you emails and so it's kind of interesting <laughs> so at any rate uh right along with that uh the uh, whole uh, process and procedure. Good morning. Nice to see you. you. Okay, uh, I've, I've got two whiteboards for you. And uh, 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 this whiteboard on your right uh, has two uh, pieces to it the regulative principle of worship and uh, what is known as the normative uh, uh, principle. Uh, of worship. And uh, usually, uh, uh, I use the term advisedly, usually, (laughs) those of us who are in the Reformed camp follow the regulative principle. Or at least we say that we follow the regulative principle. And so I want to talk about that a little bit. And uh, generally speaking, the uh, evangelical world today uh, is in the camp of the normative principle of worship, all right? And so there are uh, uh, those two sides. And uh, I would say, this is my uh, opinion, uh, I would say that in the Reformed world, uh, those who f- actually do follow the regulative principle of worship are in the minority, Alright. So, uh, uh you, you might say the Reformed Presbyterian Church of North America is the minority of the minority. Uh, th- this puts us in a very unique uh, position. Uh, and although uh, uh, we hold a very unique position, uh, and uh, I-, I hope we'll have time to, to uh, look at this further. The uh, actual historic position of the Christian church as a whole. I'm talking about the whole Christian church, which would include Catholicism. The, the uh, normative position of the whole Christian church is that of the regulative principle and of the exclusive use of psalms in worship without the use of instrumental music. So uh, it's really kind of uh, an odd thing in one respect as to what has taken place. So uh, the regulative principle of worship. In worship... See, right away I'm qualifying this in worship. And what I mean by worship here is public worship. This is what what uh, we're, we're uh, talking about in this class. Public worship. All right, When we gather together on the Sabbath day or on other days as a body and worship together corporately. Uh, I, I'm not uh, uh, particularly interested... In private worship, uh, as we talk about uh, this whole matter of uh, worship, all right? So uh, right away, I'm drawing a distinction there uh, between uh, uh, public worship and private worship. So in worship, what I mean is public worship. Whatever God does not command is forbidden, okay? So this narrows uh, the scope of things quite a little bit uh, when you think about it. In public worship, whatever God does not command is forbidden. Okay, this this is the the uh, uh, the standard approach over the centuries uh, to worship, uh, from which uh, many have uh, I, I would say unfortunately deviated. All right. Uh, now. What we have here is pretty much an abstract principle. And some of you would just scratch your head. Okay. Where do we find this in the Bible? And uh, one of the things that we need to do in this class is to validate uh, this principle. All right. This is one of the things I'll be about. And uh, so uh, uh, part of what we'll be up to. uh, in this class, then, is uh, to talk about... See, uh, too bad when you come late, you have to sit up front. <laughs> <laughs> it's just the way it is. And you have to make a spectacle of yourself by walking in front of everyone. That's just... <laughs> well, I'm not sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, Okay. Uh, so what so we're, we're, we're going to be about validating this principle and uh, I- involved in this then is we're going to have to explore uh, the rationale behind uh, exclusive psalmody. all right the singing not only the singing of psalms in worship See, there are questions about well why in the world would you even, even consider singing psalms in worship uh, 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 let alone, exclusively singing psalms in worship. So, see, that's another aspect of it. So we'll, we'll have to explore that. And uh, not only so, uh, why in the world would you fail to use music in worship? See, you get this all the time. And uh, by uh, stating it in that way, what people mean is, why in the world would you fail to use uh, musical instruments in worship. And I, and I always say, well, singing is music. Okay. And when you look at uh, the page uh, that uh, from which you sing, there are musical notes on that page. This is music! <laughs> <laughs> so we're not failing to use music. Music is very important. And uh, music, uh, uh, it turns out... Uh, it, has deep influence and deep impact on uh, who we are and uh, how we uh, act in this life, etc., etc. So uh, as time permits, we may uh, investigate the whole idea of music a little bit. So so there's a lot that's packed into this idea of the uh, regulative principle of worship. Uh, I want to drop down to the normative principle, and then I want to come back to uh, the regulative principle uh, for just a little bit. Uh, the so called normative principle of worship. In worship, whatever is not forbidden is permitted. And uh, of course, uh, by this, uh, in the regulative pr- principle, whatever God does not command is forbidden. Whatever we can't find commanded in Scripture. Is forbidden, and and the whole idea here would be in worship. are what whatever uh, is not forbidden in Scripture or by God uh, is permitted. well, you can see in the normative principle that this opens the door in quite a wide fashion. Correct. Okay. So that would be the principle, and historically. Historically, the normative principle was the Lutheran principle, okay? the principle of Lu- Lutheranism. And uh, historically, uh, uh, the, uh, going back to the Reformation, the regulative principle would be the Calvinistic side of the uh, Reformation. Uh, so you have these two sides of the Reformation. And and of course... Uh, Uh, On uh, the Calvinistic side, Calvin promoted psalmody, and on the Lutheran side, Luther was a a big hymn writer, so uh, he he promoted hymnody. And so we have it right away. We have this uh, distinction uh, that's made, Uh, but uh, uh, part of it comes out of this uh, difference between the regulative principle and the normative principle, and as I say. Usually, when you talk to people about the regulative principle, and they say that they believe in the regulative principle of worship, where they wind up planting their feet is actually on the normative principle. Okay? And so you have to query them a little bit and talk to them a little bit. And uh, uh, knowing the difference uh, between the two uh, is uh, helpful. Uh, Okay, one more thing. Uh, Well, two more things actually on on the regulative principle. Going back to the regulative principle. Uh, In our standards, uh, which are uh, the Westminster Standards, the shorter catechism, the larger catechism, and uh, the confession of faith, uh, one of the best statements of what we call the regulative principle uh, is uh, under the second commandment Uh, Question 51 uh, asks, what is forbidden in the second commandment? And uh, the uh, second commandment is, you shall not make an idol. You shall not make a graven image for yourself. Uh, This is the idea of uh, the second commandment. And and the answer, listen now to uh, what the Westminster divines say as far as the answer to the uh, second commandment. The second commandment forbiddeth or forbids the worshiping of God by images or any other way not appointed in His Word. Uh, So, if it's not specifically commanded, then it's forbidden. See, That's the idea. So, so what we're talking about, uh, you could say, comes out of the second commandment. And uh, what the Catechism teaches us as, as far as the uh, Second Commandment is concerned. Again, uh, the, the, uh, the Catechism says, the Second Commandment forbiddeth the worshiping of God by images or any other way not appointed in His Word. So it's if it's not appointed in Scripture, if it's not commanded in Scripture, then it's forbidden. See, that's the idea. Alright? right? Second commandment. And of course, this is the exposition, uh, the catechism's explanation of the second commandment. Uh, The other thing that happens with the regulative principle is this, uh, going back to uh, Romans chapter 12 and verses 1 and 2. And and I'll, I'll read those verses again. Uh, Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Right? Or uh, I, I think the ESV just uses uh, uh, service, the idea of service. And uh, uh, the term service there uh, is actually a liturgical term. And so uh, it it does have to do with worship, all right. And uh, some would say, uh, based on well, I think it's uh, proper to say, uh, based on uh, Romans twelve one, uh, that all of life is worship. That that all of life has to do with our uh, position before God and and uh, 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 how we. Uh, approach God and and, uh, this sort of thing. And so there's a sense in which all of life is worship. So it's it's proper uh, uh, to say this, uh, that uh, all of life is worship. But I don't think we should go the step of saying that the regulative principle, therefore, applies to all of life. That uh, and, and some would say, and I've argued this uh, with uh, folks. Yeah, you have to come up front, sorry. Or, or you can stand in the back. It's fine. that's alright. Okay, I it's, don't care. It's okay. <laughs> uh, uh, I, I've argued this with uh, folks at, at seminary uh, that take uh, what they would say a very strong uh, stand on the regulative principle that it's the regulative principle of life. Alright? So, you have to think about that for, for a moment. And uh, if you take that position, what you're saying, in all of life, whatever God does not command is forbidden. Okay, now, you're in an interesting circumstance. Did you drive your car to worship to church this morning? I don't find any place in the Bible where God commands driving of the car. Have you got a phone? I got a phone. Here's my phone. I don't find anywhere in the Bible where God speaks about a phone. All of a sudden, if you take that position... uh, you've taken a very hard view now what does this reduce you to some like the very strict amish correct they all wear the same clothes and they're all made of the same material and they all drive the same buggies and they raise the same kind of horses etc 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 this is what happens we're pushed back into uh, another age, uh, essentially. And if you take the position that uh, the regulative principle has to do with all of life, whatever God does not command is forbidden, see? all of the libraries in the world could not contain the books that would be necessary to outline all all of the things that are involved in life, right? If this were the regulative principle of life. And so it's just not the regulative principle of life. And and we have to understand that this is the case. It's the regulative principle of worship. And it's the regulative principle of public worship. So far, so good? We're Okay. Questions? Comments? Yeah, th- th- this is the question that arises. Basically, uh, I'll, I'll attempt to restate the question. Right? If you don't worship in the way prescribed by the Reformed Presbyterian Church of North America, are you in sin? <laughs> I mean, this, this is what it comes down to. Right? And, and uh, I, I, I'm, I'm putting it starkly, all right? And uh, because this is the way I've I've uh, been uh, approached by uh, uh, individuals, so you're telling me that in our church, if we don't use Psalms exclusively in worship, we're in sin. Okay. And uh, oh man, you have to say it that way. I just. And, okay, understand what the regulative principle of worship is. If the regulative principle of worship is, whatever is not commanded in public worship is forbidden, then whatever we do in public worship, which is not in accordance with Scripture, in some form, we're sinning. I mean, it, 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 that's the way it is, alright? I mean, we just have to face the fact. If we're not following the commands of God the way we should, in some form or other, we're sinning. And see, I would say, I would not exclude the Reformed Presbyterian Church of North America from this. Do we do everything perfectly? Doubtful. Doubtful and uh, as we get into this uh, whole matter uh, further uh, i think you'll see in some of the ways that uh, we don't uh, often we don't uh, uh, understand uh, really the uh, god ordained uh, principles uh, the god ordained root principles of worship I think we have. We all have. I include myself here. We all have a lot to learn in this area. So I. So I think this is why it's important for us to, uh, to talk about it a little bit. Other, oh, okay. Let me. Let me add something here. I'll come back to you. See now, uh, what happens uh, in all of this is that. Uh, churches begin to pattern their worship after uh, what I call celebrations that take place in the Old Testament. Uh, A good example of a celebration that takes place in the Old Testament is the celebration of the people of God at the edge of the Red Sea after they have been delivered. And they... Uh, have a celebration there and they sing and dance and Miriam uh, sings uh, a wonderful song with regard to uh, the deliverance that God has given them. And uh, one of the things I want to talk about is the difference between these uh, celebrations that take place in the Old Testament and the stated, regular, Worship commanded by God in the tabernacle and in the temple. Okay? So that, that's another distinction uh, that uh, we're going to make. And mostly, see, uh, people, uh, folks will argue uh, their case on the basis of uh, some of these uh, Old Testament celebrations, right? So, so we're going to talk about that, and, and, and it opens the door for that. Okay, there. There's a question back here first, Pat. The question is about uh, Romans twelve one and two, and uh, the uh, uh, idea of worship uh, in the second verse. Okay. So, so I'll, I'll read verses one and two again. I, I failed to read the second verse. Therefore, I urge you, brethren by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is their spiritual service of worship. Uh, And do not be conformed uh, to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. I I, I would say that verses 1 and 2 go together. Okay? And uh, uh, that verse 2 also has to do with uh, all of life being uh, part of worship. Uh, that's okay. I'm all, I'm all right with that. Okay? Uh, and I would apply uh, verse 2 uh, uh, also to... say I would make an application of verse 2 uh, to the idea of public worship. See? That part of what we have to do is understand the will of God and to act out the will of God in public worship, see this is part of what we're after. All right, this is part of what we what we uh, need to do, Claudia. The question is: Are the Old Testament celebrations a form of worship? Yes. See, I think we have to say they are worshipful. They do extend to God and prayers and songs, and and uh, there are elements of worship that are involved in these celebrations. Now, in our day and age, a type of celebration that we commonly and very nicely in our own congregation are involved in is weddings. Weddings are a form of celebration. And we do not consider so here's the curious thing that some would say. We do not consider uh, the marriage ceremony and weddings to be worship services. Okay? There are elements of worship in weddings, and very often psalms are sung, and there are prayers and, and these kinds of things. Uh, but uh it, it's kind of comical because I always say, listen. You can perform a wedding in 30 seconds. <laughs> All you have to do is get the bride and the groom together and the witnesses, and exchange the vows, and you're done. <laughs> so you can perform a wedding in 30 seconds. But mostly the brides don't like that, you know that kind of a compact ceremony. <laughs> Uh, they like to have other things, and, and the families, you know, like to uh, put something into this. So, uh, generally speaking, we do not consider weddings to be worship services, and so therefore, there are other types of music in wedding, often in weddings, and uh, often instrumental accompaniment in in weddings. All right. So, in, in reform circles, generally, this is the case. Weddings are not considered uh, worship services, although there are elements of worship that are present. Alright? And uh, so there's a distinction, you see, that's being made between the occasional celebration. See? You don't have a wedding uh, every week, you don't get married every week. Uh, these are occasional services. Right? But the public worship is stated. It's stated by God and it's stated by uh, the elders that we're going to meet on Lord's Day morning at such and such a time and Lord's Day evening at such and such a time. These are regular, stated, appointed times of worship. And they are regulated differently. Okay? They're regulated by God. This is where the regulative principle comes in. All right, So that's one of the distinctions. And, and I want to talk about this difference a little bit more uh, between uh, ceremonies and uh, regular stated worship all right uh, any other questions or comments from okay let me let me get further back here uh, th- this is a great observation uh, uh, the observation that it's not us and them and uh, a competition uh, between us and them uh, kind of thing they're wrong and we're right. Uh, they say to us, you're wrong and we're right. <laughs> I mean, th- This is what happens. So that we're down on this horizontal level. And we forget the vertical. Uh, I think this is what you're, you're getting at. We, we forget the vertical. And uh, uh, w- we need to understand, and, and this is part of where I'm going to go, is that we need to be concerned about it. What is our relationship with the great God of heaven? This is what worship is all about. This is the primary point of worship. Your relationship with the God of heaven and my relationship with the God of heaven. So, okay, in the, in the back and then I'll get Tom. Oh man, <laughs> <laughs> you want you to uh, throw me a, a, a curveball there. My view of marriage is this. Okay? Uh, both the church and the state have uh, an interest in marriage. Okay? Uh, the state has an interest in marriage uh, and the regulation of marriage uh, by virtue of the fact that all individuals in their jurisdiction are under uh, the authority of the governor and the legislature and all of this sort of thing. and They want order. Uh, in, uh, in the state, and so there's a proper place, you see, uh, for uh, the uh, uh, the civil government having an interest in marriage, and uh, the interest in marriage is is brought about by uh, a marriage license, getting a marriage license, and uh, so the question, and the church obviously has an interest in marriage, okay, because God ordained marriage, and uh, brings. Uh, uh, men and women together uh, in uh, marriage so god has uh, uh, an interest in marriage and therefore the church has an interest in marriage and and that marriages be uh, uh, conducted between uh, believers so this would be the the primary uh, focus or one of the one of the primary uh, uh, pieces of marriage as far, as far as the church is concerned. So the, the question could be, uh, can a person be married without going to the courthouse and getting a marriage license? Yeah. <laughs> but uh, you, you may run afoul of the state somewhere uh, down the road uh, if you do that. So that would be uh, what I would say. I'm not going to press that any further. <laughs> okay, Tom. Right. And and this is, uh, uh, I I think this is another important aspect of worship and our understanding of worship. Is that, uh, as you rightly said, Jesus is after our all being one. And he's bringing us to that position. And there's a certain inevitability. To that, because when we are brought to heaven and worship God around the throne, we will be one. And so God is bringing us to that position. And while we are in this world, what we ought to be seeking is to get our brains and our hearts wrapped around the will of God. Uh, Like it or not, every one of you, like myself, has a personal theology. In other words, you have a a personal understanding of the Bible and how the Bible is put together and what God requires. Every one of us is in in that place. And slowly but surely, our objective ought to be to bring our personal theology and our personal views into coordination with the Bible. Alright? The Bible. And say, I include myself in this. There are uh, always places in our lives where we're not lined up properly with the Bible. And so we need to bring our lives into line with, with the Bible. And this is a long process. And so this is something we, we need to work on. And uh, uh, all of this is involved in worship. All right? uh, this is part of the aspect of worship. Uh, okay, let, let me go to the other board. Uh, uh, th- this is my little syllogism. God prescribes how we enter heaven and His presence. Okay? So some of you are naughty. That's a, that's a, that's a no-brainer almost, isn't it? Uh, uh, for those who believe in the Bible uh, and have a Christian uh, worldview, uh, that pretty much is a no-brainer. Uh, uh, there is no other name given among men. Correct? By which we must be saved, only Jesus. I am the way and the truth and the life. Some would say, uh, "Well, Christianity is pretty narrow, isn't it?" And I would say, "Yep, yep, it is. <laughs> it's the way it is." So, uh, so, so, uh, uh, point one is uh, pretty self-explanatory. Uh, that would be the major premise of the syllogism. Uh, the minor uh, premise would be worship is entering into God's presence and a taste of heaven. All right? so, so now, uh, uh, we're, we're going to have to spend some time validating uh, this uh, minor premise. Right? And if we can va- properly validate this minor premise the conclusion falls out. God prescribes how we enter heaven and His presence. Worship is entering into God's presence and a taste of heaven. If these two are true, then God prescribes how we worship. It's it's fairly simple, it seems to me, uh, when you look at it uh, in this way. You see, now, uh, uh, my approach is uh, I'm not... Uh, going to try to uh, prove the regulative principle of worship as an abstract principle. See, I, I, I'm kind of looking at well, it's an abstract principle and I think it, it derives from Scripture and uh, part of our problem is that that uh, by and large in our culture and in our society, uh, in our day, uh, we don't think biblically, And uh, so we have uh, problems with principles uh, like uh, the the regulative principle. So uh, I I want to uh, uh, go into this uh, second premise here. Worship is uh, entering into God's presence and a taste of heaven. Now, when I've done this uh, class uh, at the seminary, uh, or taught the worship class at the seminary, uh, I always use uh, the inductive method. Uh, that is, I didn't put the re- regulative principle on the board and say, okay, I'm going to prove this. I'm a little more sneaky than that. I, I want to come in the back door. And uh, it-, it was kind of funny uh, in the class because. Because I I would uh, uh, I would actually start with this uh, minor premise, and I wouldn't give uh, folks this syllogism at all. I'd just start with this minor pre- premise and talk about worship. And uh, th- this is what we'll start to do next week. We'll get into this this minor uh, premise and, and talk a little bit about worship and the character of worship and and uh, what worship. Uh, is uh, but it, it was interesting because i would uh, uh, go through the scriptures and talk to the class about uh, the character of worship and what god was interested in and our relationship with god and everybody's going this way this way this way and uh, uh, this this would include uh, uh, the uh, the pastors in the class from the assemblies of god church and uh, uh, the pastors and the elders in the, in the class from uh, some of the uh, conservative uh, uh, Baptist churches in the minority community in Pittsburgh around the seminary. They're going, yes, yes, yes. And uh, uh, so, uh, so finally, uh, I, I would say to the class, you agree with all of this material? And they say, yes, yes, yes. And then the outcome would have to be. I'd show them this syllogism, and so the outcome would would be then God prescribes how we worship, and they would go, "Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, professor. <laughs> we didn't bargain for that. <laughs> we didn't. We didn't come here for that." And uh, one of the first times. Uh, I did this in class. Uh, David Hansen was in the class. And uh, he called this this sudden realization of what had happened in the class the train wreck. <laughs> because all of a sudden, uh, the whole class had bought into to what I was saying and they realized the implications of what I was saying. And so... Uh, uh thereafter, uh, now Pastor Hanson would call me on the phone and say, Denny, you're doing the worship class this uh, quarter, correct? I said, that's right. There'd be a little pause and he'd say, has the train wreck occurred yet? <laughs> I said, not yet, but it's coming. Not yet, but it's coming. And uh, so so I, I want to uh, work into this uh, second area a, a little bit. Uh, uh, questions or comments now? Uh, anything you wanna uh, shoot at me? Uh, the The church calendar see, see that's a great point. Uh, the uh, confession says we do not celebrate. Holy days, and uh, so uh, uh, we would not have special uh, days uh, that we would celebrate, which would which brings the uh, uh, into view the church calendar. All right, uh, that uh, the, the day we celebrate is the Sabbath. Uh, that that's the primary uh, day of worship. Now I'll tell you where I am on that whole area. I'm kind of with Dr. Martin Lloyd Jones on this issue. Martin Lloyd Jones says, "Okay, you know, don't follow the church calendar. That's fine. I'm I'm okay with you there on that. But remember this: that when you come." Uh, to the day that's prescribed on the calendar as Easter and the day of the resurrection, and you ignore it, you're going to raise more questions uh, among the people in the congregation than if you would uh, just follow uh, the church calendar. So, Take advantage of the opportunity on that day to preach on the resurrection and set the people straight on the meaning of the resurrection and that we celebrate it every Sabbath day. Same thing uh, with, quote, Christmas and the birth of Christ. Don't shy away from, with speaking on the Incarnation when everybody's thinking about the baby Jesus. And don't shy away with speaking to them and setting them straight on the meaning of the Incarnation and its significance for the Christian church. Okay, and So I'm kind of with Lloyd-Jones there. Uh, if you snub your nose... At it, uh, you're going to raise a lot of questions. What's wrong with you, pastor? <laughs> uh, uh, these kind of things. Uh, so, so I'm not, uh, uh, as you would say, that uh, quote strict on uh, a matter like this. Okay, David. See, I've I, see I've used this illustration before, and I'll uh, I'll bring it up again. Uh, uh, what degree of sanctification do you think uh, uh, that you've arrived at? See? When I've I, I told you this. When I asked this at a family camp, people said, Well, I, I, we're up here at 80, 85, 90%. I just went, <laughs> so, so, I, I think I'm down here closer to 1, 2, 3, or 4%. <laughs> Actually. <laughs> and. Uh, uh, we tend to think of ourselves too highly. And uh, we tend to think of ourselves more pure than we actually are. And so we need to get a grip on ourselves in this way. And uh, this goes back to the other question about comparing ourselves with others. We need to compare ourselves with Christ and with God. This, this is the big deal. Okay? Uh, so next week we're going to come back and, and we're going to talk about How worship is entering into God's presence and a taste of heaven. Uh, That'll be our objective next week. All right? Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, thanks for uh, your being with us and uh, for our being able to be together. Uh, Thank you for uh, the fact that you do call us uh, to worship you. And we pray that you'd be pleased to bless us in our understanding of worship uh, so that we do worship You in spirit and truth. Uh, Bless us to this end, we pray, and grant us Your grace, we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen.